Continue our discussion of Chaitanya Charitamrita, Sri Krishna's Kabiraj Goswami Mahasaya Ki Jai, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita Ki Jai. So we're in the middle of the seventh chapter of the Adi Lila, and here Krishna's Kabiraj Goswami is describing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's passing through Banaras, Varanasi, and how in doing so he stayed at the house of Chandrasekhar and took his meals at the house of Tapan Mishra. And the narrative continues this evening. Sanatan Gusai Asi Tanhai Milila Tanashikshalagi Prabhu Duhumasarohila. When Sanatan Goswami came from Bengal, he met Chaitanya Mahaprabhu at the house of Tapamijra, where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu remained continuously for two months to teach him devotional service. What's uh, being described here, um, of course, is that, and I think we concluded on this note in, last, uh, in our last session, that Mahaprabhu went to Banaris and he ignored the sannyasis who got everybody's attention. They were the, the, uh, the center there of spiritual knowledge and so forth. He just ignored them, dismissed them. They questioned about him, criticized him, and he, and he went on from there to Vrindavan. And he's returned now. So he returned, and he's staying at the house of Tapanmisha, or the Chandrasekhar, excuse me, for a couple of months, taking his meals with... Tapan Mishra and Rabbanath Bhattakaswami has the chance to massage his feet and as a young boy and get his association. And um, while he was staying there, keeping their company and continuing to ignore the sannyasis, Sanatana Goswami arrived. So here we, we hear about that this evening. Uh-huh. And um, and for an extended period of time, as I mentioned here, for, for a couple of months, Mahabhu instructed Sanatan, Tanresi Kaila Sab Vaishnavir Dharma Bhagavat Adi Shastrair Chatta Guru Marma. So Mahabhu taught him, he gave him the Shikha about Vaishnava Dharma, based on the Bhagavatam, etc., Bhagavad Adi, Bhagavad, and other related uh, Vaishnava texts, like Upaltapani, Bhagavad Gita, uh, Vishnu Purana, and so forth. Hmm. And in this way he taught him the confidential meaning, purpose, of these texts. Sanatan himself, Sanatan Goswami, was a great Bhagavad scholar, hmm. It's uh, described in the literature that um, well, um, before leaving home and becoming a mendicant, he was employed in the, in the Muslim government, a very high government position. But all his spare time he would spend uh, studying the Bhagavatam and surrounded himself by, with a group of Brahmin pundits. And uh, they would discuss the Bhagavatam to the point where he became a little... Um, 
neglectful of his government responsibilities, and it uh, irritated the uh, the king, the Muslim king, and um, so some um, discord ensued, and the king arrested Sanatan and incarcerated him. The story of his incarceration was told to Mahaprabhu by Rupa Goswami, Rupa and Balava and Sanatan. They were three brothers. Rupa and Balava were together, apparently, and they met Mahaprabhu uh, at Prayag, also on his way back from Vrindavan. And um, he inquired from Rupa about Sanatan, and the story was told to him. And Mahaprabhu surmised from his omniscience that Sanatan had been released and that Rupa shouldn't worry. So arriving again on his way, his return, really his return to Puri, he's coming back through Baranasi, he's staying with Sapan Mishra and Sanatan appears. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very touching meeting that's described later when this, this very narrative again is repeated, as I've said at the uh, end of the Madhya More, it fits more chronologically there, but we've explained why with a good, reasonable conjecture as to why it's placed here as well, to pass through the Mayavad and get that out of the way, make it clear that bhakti, to pass through to Vrindavan, you have to get past this Mayavad conception. It's anti-bhakti. Uh, so, um, but but it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it would be appropriate to say a little something about that. It's a very touching meeting. Sanatana, of course, escaped from the jail, and uh, went uh, through by the back roads, and he was a well-known person. I mean, he was like in charge of the kingdom when the king would go hunting or go out conquering lands or whatever it was that he did. And um, so he was a known entity. He was a public figure. Hmm? And uh, so he um, dressed himself like a, like a Sufi, like a Muslim um, mystic, and went through the back roads and um, uh, made his way towards Vrindavan, where he sought to meet with Mahaprabhu because, having his ear to the ground, he heard Mahaprabhu has gone to Puri, he's taken sannyas. Well, he knew that. He met him as sannyasi, and even his first attempt to go to Vrindavan, and Sanatana advised him, Don't go with a big crowd like this. And Mahaprabhu went back to Puri. So Second time he went, he was successful. So Sanatana was thinking that he was there, and so he tried to make his way there. But he would, as I say, by the back roads with no assistant, no no money, um, and um, um, not dressed like a Vaishnava, not dressed like a dignified public figure, member of the royal court, um, and so. There were borders and checks and things of that sort to some extent, and it was a little bit of a precarious trip for him, but he arrived in Benares, and without any internet or texting, he made his way to the door of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu of, of, of Chandrasekhar. Hmm. And Mahaprabhu from within side said, there is a great Vaishnava at the door, please let him in. So Chandrasekhar went to the door, and all he saw was this Sufi sitting there on, on the 
on the step to the side of the door. So he returned and said that there was no devotee there, no Vaishnav. And Mahabhu said, was there anybody there? He said, oh, there was a Sufi there. He said, bring him in. So Sanatana was brought in and Mahaprabhu saw him and went and embraced him. And both of them showered one another with, with uh, one another's tears. And Chandrasekhar, the householder, was amazed, astonished to see this display of affection, intimacy between Sanatana and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's difficult to understand it here. Mahaprabhu was embracing a, what would appear to be a, a Sufi, Muslim, hmm. Mystic, and um, and Mahaprabhu uh, then asked Sanatan to go and shave up and uh, accept uh, the Vaishnava dress and so forth, and he, he went to the Ganges, bathed, and so forth, and uh, and. Um, he felt very anxious about Mahaprabhu embracing him. He thought himself very, very low. Mahaprabhu said to him, you were very fortunate. Krishna has saved you. He said, Ami Krishna Sanatana said, I don't know Krishna. I know you. I've come only for your shelter. Only by your grace am I well and so forth. Is my life successful? Very, very humble and um, and very exalted at the same time, and so he stayed there, as is mentioned here. Took his meals at Tapanishras after Mahaprabhu. He would take the remnants of Mahaprabhu. It's not Tapanishra offered him new new cloth. He wouldn't accept it. He asked. He said, "Give me some old cloth, used cloth." The used cloth was given, he immediately tore it in half for an outer garment and an undergarment and made two out of one, <laughs> two sets of, of attire out of one. And uh, this way he was visibly very um, renounced. However, um, it was explained earlier in the narrative, not here, but earlier, later, in, when we get into the Madhya when the narrative is more... Uh, going goes more in a chronological order. The, the story of Sanatana's escape and so forth is described. And um, he had an assistant with him, and the assistant had kept, I think, seven or eight gold coins for security. When they arrived at an innkeeper's place, the innkeeper was very happy to put them up and didn't ask them anything, and Sanatana was very wise, so he thought, something's going on, why this guy letting us stay here for free? And, so he asked his assistant, do you have anything valuable? He says, well, I brought these seven gold coins. I thought I might need them. So he said immediately, he gave me the seven gold coins. And he took them and gave them to the innkeeper and said, we were caring, we want to give these to you. The innkeeper said, wow, that's amazing. I was going to kill you tonight. <laughs> Astrologer told me that you were traveling with some gold. So you know, such was the kind of the terrain, the landscape. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, and so they proceeded on, and he met, I think maybe a, like a, some type of in-law or something, um, on the way, and 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 he found he had reason to question his assistant once more, and found the assistant had kept one gold coin. He actually had eight, so then he sent his assistant away, and the uh, uh, in-law meanwhile gave him a blanket, 
um, something like a pashmina shawl or something like an expensive woolen chatter. And so it was the one thing that he had of distinction from a material point of view when he arrived in Banaras and Mahaprabhu was very pleased with his renunciation and so forth and but he kept looking at the blanket, looking at the blanket, not saying anything. And Sanatan could understand. Mahaprabhu thinks that it's inappropriate for me to be wearing an expensive blanket and and and, and at the same time uh, present myself as a renunciate. So he went to the bank of the Ganges, and there he met a fellow from Bengal who had just washed a quilt, a quilt of different types of cloth woven together, and it just laid it on the sand on the beach to dry. And Sanatana said, I'd like to give you this blanket and trade for yours. And so the man on the beach said, what are you, are you joking me? Are you ridiculing me? Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm poor, I know that, okay? And he said, no, 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 I don't mean no offense. I really want to trade here. Take this. And so he came back then wearing this... this um, used and uh, very inexpensive quilt and Mahaprabhu saw this uh, knew that he had understood his mind he said it's very good that you have done this this is uh, not appropriate for a renunciate to wear dress very opulently and so forth of course as I've mentioned for preaching Prabhupada wanted his sannyasis to dress in a dignified way um, in, in, in the world I don't think if we went around with the torn quilts and so forth. It might be, might not be, uh, might not be understood. But this is a different culture and time. And the principle remains. And we should not be attached to the fashions and our simple dress um, makes a statement in that regard. So, uh, this way he was very pleased with, with Sanatana and for two months there he instructed him and the essence of that that that, that teaching is found later on in the Madhya of Chaitanya Charitamrita, over two or three chapters. And, of course, Sanatana was empowered to write books about Vaishnava etiquette and philosophy and, uh, and so forth. Became basically one of the architects of Sampradaya, giving it shape to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's conception and his ecstasy, what he was about, and so on and so forth. Um, Establishing the, the code of behavior for the Vaishnavas, how they would worship the deity, what mantras, and uh, for the household section, how they would be married, what would be the ceremonies, and all kinds of things like this for the whole. So he gave much to give shape, as I say. That's why I refer to him sometimes as architect of the Sampradaya. This is in his Hari Bhakti Vilas, drawing from other scriptures he put together. The Vaishnava. Um, what would you call it? Um, Vidhi hmm. um, regulations for the life, the code of conduct, whatever procedures and so forth. So, a huge contribution, and personally instructed by Mahaprabhu, his Sikshu Guru, hmm, in Benares. Later, he went to Puri and met Mahaprabhu second time. Mahaprabhu embraced him there. That's another story that's very instructive. But one of the things that is being brought out here repeatedly with the way the narrative is moving, uh, 
is that what is the nature of Vaishnava Sangha? And how important it is how asat sangha um, should be avoided, satsanga should be embraced, how that transcends uh, social uh, religious considerations hmm, of the of the time that were in place, the Varnashram, for example, and who should associate what now, and all these things. Much of that, of course, goes beyond what perhaps is the scriptural truth and is a distortion of the system, but nonetheless there were codes of behavior for the religious sector of society in in, in general. And um, and of course it was thought that, that like minds uh, together will will thrive. So those of a, of a sudra disposition, they'll be happiest amongst others of the same those of a chatri disposition. Um, this is kind of the principle, and these dispositions were thought to be accurately so a the combined influence of the gunas, the modes of nature in their psyche hmm? um, and and so they would that influence would would play out physically, and they would have certain proclivities, propensities for action, and so on and so forth, and so that people who are of a similar uh, disposition, associate, live together, and and contribute in the to the society in the ways that they are most uh, suited, have the most aptitude. Um, that said, there are a number of examples of people who were born in different uh, groups, if you will, um, castes, but didn't fit, hmm. and. And so they acted otherwise, and that was accepted. You know, Prahlad was the son of Ranjakasipu, but he came a great, was a great Mahabhagavata. Hmm. That's a, a Vaishnava example. There are others, the famous Vishvamrita, and uh, who was it? Um, I can't recall. But anyway, there are a number of examples cited to emphasize the principle that principles, if you are of a certain disposition, and naturally you're going to thrive um, to a large extent in, in terms of familiarity and so forth with other people of a like mind. It doesn't necessarily mean that if you're born in a family of a certain disposition, you'll have it. I mean, we don't. <laughs> so um, we are all examples of being somewhat... Uh, having a different destiny, if you will. This is, of course, spiritual and above the Dharma. But at any rate, this is being discussed here. Mahaprabhu stayed with Chandrasekhar, who was uh, the Sudravarna. Mm-hmm. He was a Brahmin and sannyasi. Mm-hmm. And so it would have raised eyebrows, but he didn't care about that. Because why? Because Chandrasekhar was a devotee. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was really there by the influence of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu behind the scenes, orchestrating it. Mm-hmm. He orchestrated it from within, gave him inspiration to go there. He met Tapan Mishra, told him to go there, so because he knew he would go there, and he would enlighten the sannyasis there, and he needed a place to stay. <laughs> and it had to be a house of devotees, and so forth. And so here he is, a sannyasi, ignoring the sannyasis, who are learned, and so forth, hmm? and, um, and uh, 
he's of the sannyas order, but he doesn't associate with the sannyasis, he associates with the householders. And in the case of Chandrasekhar, a householder who is a sudra, living with him and so forth, he's crossing these boundaries. Here comes Sanatan. He was a Brahmin, in a Brahmin family, ostracized by the Hindu community for having taken employment in the Muslim government. Probably didn't have much of a choice if the king says, uh, I want you to work for me. Something like that. And so he did, and he just thought, well, whatever. And he was able to pursue his religious um, sensibilities. As I said, he would, all his spare time would be spent reading the Bhagavatam and so forth. And when the two did come in conflict, then he, he left. And now he's dressed as a, as a, a Sufi, and Mahabharu is embracing him. And so wherever he finds someone of the same stamp, a devotee, of hmm. substance. And Mahabharu was making his connections there, making his association there. And while someone else may be respected in the society, may be learned from a spiritual point of view, studied the Vedas and a sannyasi, and so forth, he's avoiding their company if they're not devotees. Hmm. There are many, many statements in, in the scripture to this effect. Mahabharu chanted some, spoke some to Sanatana. When Tanatha said, I'm a Krishna Jani, no, I don't know Krishna, I'm blow, I'm fallen. So he would say, Akshnopalam Tadusha Darshanam He Tanofalam Tadusha Kattasanga Jivavalam Tadusha Kirtanam He Sudulava Bhagavata. Okay. He spoke like this to Sanatan. A person like you hmm, is rare to find in the world such a Bhagavata. Akshnopalam hmm. to to see you is the perfection of the eyes. Tanofalam tadusha gattasanga. To touch you is the perfection of association. Jivapalam tadusha kirtanami. To speak about you, to glorify you, is that's the perfection of the tongue. You who are a Bhagavata, that's Sudulava Bhagavata Hiloke. In this world, Hiloke, Sudulava Bhagavata. Very rare to find such a person. The Samahapu spoke to Sanatana Goswami. Hmm? He spoke verses like, even if one is born in a family of dog-eaters, but he's a Vaishnava, he can be a guru. Whereas if he's born in a Brahmin family and follows all the Brahminical standards and has Brahminical character and so forth, but he's not a Vaishnava, he cannot be a guru. In fact, we don't want his association. Mahaprabhu made cited verses like this here through the pen of Krishna Kaviraj, making the point. Hmm. Uh, it's a, it's an ongoing kind of point here that's being made about the nature of sadhusanga, satsanga, and the nature of asatsanga, and how it may show up in unexpected ways. We would expect sannyasis studying the shastra all the time, very spiritually minded and so forth, to be good association. But no, they had an anti-bhakti idea. A simple person like Chandrasekhar we didn't know the scriptures or anything, but he was a devotee. He had love for Mahaprabhu. This is the way Mahaprabhu made his, made his way and teaches us how to avoid bad association and how to avoid good association. And the fact that, again, it may appear um, to be one thing, and we have to look beyond that. Sanatana looked like somebody undesirable. Chandrasekhar thought, I don't know, there's some Sufi out there. Long hair, a beard, and 
kind of disheveled, and he's been traveling, it looks like, for a long time, homeless, close the door. Mahaprabhu saw through that. So, wherever it comes, unexpected quarters. Prahlad came, right? From, as I mentioned earlier, from, from, from Hiranyakasipu, the biggest of the, of the demons, so to speak, is depicted in the Bhagavatam. His son became, was a great devotee. So, point being, in one sense here, this can come from anywhere. Again, Mahaprabhu said, Kiva Vipa Kiva Nashi Ye Krishna Tatu Veta Whatever, wherever it comes from, I don't care. Whatever the package is, it doesn't matter to me. If the, if the gift is there, if the teaching of bhakti, if someone knows the truth about Krishna Veta, Krishna Veti, if they know the Siddhanta, that's a, that's a hard thing to find. Hmm? That you'll find in me. You're lucky, I can say. Hmm? That you'll find. What is, and there's a mess out there of different misconceptions and so forth. Hmm? You get the right conclusions about what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was teaching. There are many different ideas that were over the centuries what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was about. And here we follow strictly what, what Mahaprabhu taught Sanatana Goswami. Hmm? As reported by Krishna Naskabiras Goswami. Hmm? We have in our own life experience that coming from unexpected quarters, the current, the flow of devotion, and then we had the fortune to have a sangskar and increase that sangskar, moving in the direction wherever the flow of authentic devotion is coming, taking shelter there. Coming under the guidance as we did of Puja Patrida Marju. You know, we were used to being with Prabhupada was going around the world, commanding and big campaign and so forth. And this is what we knew to be a Vaishnav of the highest quality. And and there was Sridhar Maharaj in a tattered tattered dress, unkempt. I mean, surely he bathed and everything. Hair growing, 80, 80% blind. Hmm. Prabhupada would... If Prabhupada would sip water, he would wash his hands afterwards, practically. I was amazed to see him in um, September, when he left the world in November. He's so emaciated, and um, they would bring him the Charnamrita, the bath water from the deity, and a few drops on his hand, and he put it in his mouth, and he would assist, his hand would be washed, his mouth would be washed. It's like this very controlled, brahminical, Stand. He wasn't from a Brahmin family. And I think that's partly why he, he did like that. <laughs> he often make make comments, you know, about the Brahmins who, you know, thought they were superior to the, to the Vaishnavas. Hmm. Um, he was actually from a Kayasta family, the, the, from the, from the Suvarnavanic community. There was a community in Bengal, and um, they were gold merchants. Uh, to these castes, so there, there are those four divisions, but there are many multi subdivisions within them. So anyway, there's this caste called the Kayastas. They're they're sudras, but they had sometimes um, positions as, as merchants and and clerks and so forth. Excuse me, Ramananda Roy was from that that um, that caste as well. And in Bengal, the uh, this uh, West Bengal, this uh, uh, the Suvarnavarnik 
uh, they were gold merchants, and the Bal Al Sain was the king, and something happened where Bal Al Sain borrowed a bunch of money or something and couldn't pay it back, and to the merchants, and so the merchants were upset with him, and then he upset with them, and then he made propaganda against them, and and so they were outcasts, and so on and so forth, rejected them, and made it very difficult for them within the religious socio-religious framework, and Nityananda Prabhu came there and uplifted them and accepted them all. Hmm? Udharandatta is, uh, is uh, one of the leaders there. He was a, a patron saint of the family of Prabhupada, the Day family. He was connected with that that group. Hmm? Nityananda Prabhu picked them up. Hmm? They had done nothing wrong, and they were devotees. Uh, so he blessed the whole village and generations to come and so forth. Um, but uh, but anyway, Prabhupada came from that that, that group, and and he was he conducted himself very brilliantly. He was very kind of um, very overtly. He showed control, complete control of his senses, faculties. It's very regulated in his timings and so forth, and. Eating and sleeping, and uh, was a, was a, it was a, it was a um, a poetry in, in motion to watch, and um, by contrast, I remember seeing Sridhar Maharaj chanting Japa like this, kind of disheveled and having puffed rice, like fried puffed rice with turmeric and cumin, and like this. And eating with the left hand, some, throwing some puff rice, and chanting. <laughs> I told that to one Brahmin, Brahmin devotee, disciple of Puri Marsh. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't accept it. He was too attached to his Brahminical sensibilities. And Sridhar Marsh was from a Brahmin family. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Prabhupada would have seen any of us eating with our left hand like that, and he would adjust. We're going to. We're gonna, he wanted to elevate us from the Rajagun, Tamagun, cultural sensibilities to Brahminical sensibilities, sattvic sensibilities, which is kind of the liftoff point for transcendence, it's kind of like the airport, you know, from there you go. That's the idea of the, the sattva guna. Of course, there's this super transcendental, and Sridhar Marsh was exhibiting that reality. Um, taste for Nam, he couldn't put down the chanting. And somebody's bringing him something breakfast, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so you could see it and go, "Oh, he's like a bad character." What's that? But if you listen to him, associate with him, then you think quite, quite otherwise. So, hmm. so this is one example of how contrasting, uh, how different the two personalities were. And he was just sitting there, apparently doing nothing. Meanwhile, Prabhupada was going and saving the world, right? Hmm? And we were you know, part of the saved, and so, and naturally we were trying to save others and give the, the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Sridhar Maharaj said, I said, I said, do you even have enough money sometimes to, to feed the devotees? The Nath Mandir, Kirtan Hall, was, was, wasn't built hmm? uh, for many years. They couldn't build it. They had the deity shrine, but Prabhupada, in his pat, time of his passing, he, he allotted money to finish the Nath Mandir of Sridhar Maharaj, to build it from his fund. Hmm. So anyway, 
they were very different. We had this, of course, they were both Vaishnavas, and if you looked closely, you see they used to live together, or they were closely associated, and um, and so on. It was a very good fit. But it is somewhat of an example how from unexpected quarters and from someone who looked very differently and who, who conducted himself differently also, um, who quoted verses and explained them differently, hmm, and, but it was within the the parameters of what is Gaudiya Vaishnavism, nonetheless. So, I found that all very compelling and interesting. Some people couldn't couldn't get it hmm? if it wasn't exactly the way Prabhupada was saying it or something like that. They thought it must must not be bona fide. They couldn't catch the spirit of it and then see the flexibility of the texts and and the flexibility of Gaudiya Vaishnavism that it that it functions in terms of tattva within certain parameters, and but those parameters allow for multiple meanings of different verses and so on and so forth. So it was a shame. People couldn't take advantage. They offended. And, but I was fortunate to be able to take advantage. And um, I used to reflect back because Prabhupada, when he was... As I said, I was there in September, and, and I, we used to do kirtan for him, so it was a 24-hour kirtan, and he was bedridden, and I had a shift between 1 and 3 in the morning. But I was the only one there, and Prabhupada had an assistant, so I was chanting for two hours. And I was chanting the mantra, and I was chanting one of the, the, one of the very, very few melodies that Prabhupada chanted. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. And uh, I was thinking to myself, I just want to chant in a bona fide way. And I don't want to make a musical presentation or anything like this for the pleasure of Prabhupada. And, and my prayer was to always be connected to the Guru Parampara. Because hmm? I realized Prabhupada is, is passing, I'll uh, be left here. I want to be connected to that which he's represented. That was my thought. And Prabhupada got up, looked up. Um, he looked like he was just lying there sleeping, but he just looked up and looked, looked over. And then he asked, because I was at his feet, the assistant who came to his head, he said, who's that? Said, That's Tripari Marshan. Probably looked at him and said, oh. Yeah. So when I met Sridhar Marsh, that thought came out of my mind. Prabhupada had blessed me to stay connected to the Guru Parampara. Hmm? I got the shelter of Pujapat Sridhar Marsh. Hmm? And the experience of the line going in. As Sri Ramarsh used to say, like the Ganges, in a crooked way, may it be straight. Hmm? Wherever there's a substantial dispensation of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, we make the, connect the dots, something like that. That's how we'll draw the line. Not by any formal um, considerations, although we'll look in that way at first for the formal consideration, but if something of spiritual substance that constitutes Gaudiya Vaishnavism appears outside of the, the structure, like outside of your your sect or something like that. You won't ignore it simply because it's uh, not in your particular sect, something like that. So, so something along these lines is this some of the substance here that's being woven into the to the, to the narrative. Hmm. And also, the point I made about Sanatana's renunciation, and 
Srinivas Acharya also, who wrote the Sad Goswami Astakam, the six, the eight prayers to the six Goswamis, he was like, just, just this half a generation later, had the association with Jiva Goswami. Um, and uh, he, Narutam, and Shamananda, they were a trio of successors of the Goswamis that did much to circulate the Goswamis' uh, teachings coming from Vrindavan in Sanskrit in the Bengal area and also you know, in um, Assam. Mm-hmm. Um, Narutam was very active there. So, um, in his prayer, he says, for example, Sankyupubaka nama gananatibi nidraharabihara kalibajito. Basically, he says, and they forgot to eat, they forgot to sleep, forgot about defending themselves. They were so preoccupied with Sankyupubaka nama, Sankyupubaka nama, the chanting a prescribed number of rounds. They were, were living for that. Hmm? This was their life. They had, they, they set an example of what Sridharmarsh would call do or die, or die to live, the Hegelian uh, poetry, if you will, that he, he liked to, to cite. Hmm? Die to live, as I said, a friend of mine put it on his license plate. That's, you know, it should stop the car <laughs> and get out and walk barefoot if need be. Hmm? And Bhajana Kriya, this stage, in the beginning, the practice, we accept the practices, should be with a do-or-die attitude, through a fire of ordeal. Hmm. This will, we have to pass through the fire of ordeal, it's not going to come otherwise. Hmm. So there has to be some sacrifice, some, so the impediments that come, we don't run away from them, we see them as, oh, I'm coming, they're testing me, they're giving me opportunity to take shelter, Hmm? to transcend my mind's demands, my bodily inconvenience, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So Rupa Sanatana, uh, Raghunath Goswami, the story of him arriving in Puri and how he successively became overtly more renounced over the months. I think I've told it before. First his parents were sending money. So he was using the money to hold festivals and feed Mahaprabhu and his associates. And then he thought, I've got to be a renunciate and I'm getting an allowance from my dad. You know, This isn't right. So he stopped taking the allowance. And then he would just go beg in front of the lion's gate through the temple. So when people were coming out with Mahaprasadam, and Jagannath eats a lot. You know, there's 64 offerings a day, 56 offerings on maybe 64 kitchens or something there in the compound. So it's famous, the Jagannath Prashad. So he would get some Prashad and then he would take that, it would be his meal. And then he thought, oh, what am I doing? I'm begging here, and I'm thinking, that guy gave something yesterday, I'll talk to him. I'm making this discrimination. So one person is better than another. What what kind of vision is that? Hmm. So he gave up that, and eventually he found himself getting his meals from the prashadam that had been given leftovers to the cows after the cows had finished. There he was finding something. He was not eating much, taking that, cleaning it. And there he was there collecting some grains of rice, washing them off, and suddenly Mahaprabhu appeared there and snatched a grain from his hand and said, What? You're having the festival again and you didn't invite me? Imagine his surprise. And he said he was very much appreciative of the renunciation of Raghunath Goswami. You have to understand, after all, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself, 
set a high standard of renunciation. But he and the Goswamis, they were preoccupied with the leelas of Radha and Krishna, the loved leelas of Radha and Krishna. The implication is that you cannot be meditating on a romantic novel hmm, and, and be a renunciate. What your mind is preoccupied with, that will show up in your actions. Hmm. So the transcendental nature of that romantic affair between Radha and Krishna is evident in the, in the extreme um, renunciation we find in the Goswamis, who are the founding acharyas, the Shastra gurus of the Sampradaya, who gave the seminal books, the interpretation of the larger body of scripture that constitutes Gaudiya Vaishnavism. We call it the Bhakti Shastras. Of course, we'll include the Bhagavat in there, but then their interpretation of the Bhagavat and its implications and so forth is what we, what we embrace as a, as a lineage. And so, as we've discussed with regard, for example, to Mahaprabhu taking sannyas, I think, last night, the, the climate was that, the, to a large extent, that the, that the smartas and connected with them, the renunciates, the sannyasis, were all of an adwaitan, largely of, a, of an adwaitan persuasion. Hmm? They had the greatest grip on the uh, religious sector hmm, of the society. And um, and they were and, and their sannyasis were quite renounced. I mean, they they ought to be because they're they're because why? Why should they be? Because renunciation, vairagya, is part of the way in their path. It is not part of the way in our path. It is a result that accrues as um, w- within our way. Vairagya corresponds with the knowledge that I'm not the body. If I am not the body, then the body and all things related to the body, all things, don't have much to offer me, as we often explain, because me means I, I am a unit of consciousness, I'm not a thing. So that knowledge of the Atma, and the difference between atma and the body-mind complex plays itself out practically in the form of renunciation. And similarly, theoretical knowledge of that, hmm, in one sense, dictates a path in which detachment from things is a culture. Hmm? Because if I'm detached from the thing, then I'm theoretically conducting myself as if I'm not a thing. Hmm? And the result should be that I start to experience the more that I am because I'm moving away from my identification with things that's causing me trouble. Hmm? So in the path of Gyan, and amongst the Advaitans, there, there are different types of Gyanis, but the Advaitans are a type that that are... That are uh, characteristically from the Vaishnava perspective offensive to bhakti there may be some that are not and they will progress to an idea that's that's um, but uh, to Sayuja Mukti possibly but Vishwanath Chakrati Thakur makes the comment that it's very difficult to be a Mayavadi 
even if you're a mayavadi who also does bhakti and not commit offense to bhakti, for example, by way of thinking, I'm doing bhakti, but actually the Lord's form is not transcendental. Hmm? There you go. There you're doing, you're making an aparad. Hmm? So you're offensive to bhakti. And such people, they can get liberation, even if they become a jivan mukta. Hmm? Even if all their karma, except the parabdha karma, is d- destroyed by their culture of knowledge, because karma is a result of ignorance. It, it arises from the seed of avidya, ignorance. So if you can destroy that seed at the core, then it's gone, except for the where it's already manifest, the parabdha karma. So the jivan mukta is waiting for the parabdha karma to play itself out in the form of death and attain videha mukti, enter into Brahman. Of course, their idea is, I am Brahman. That's also offensive. <laughs> no, you're not. You're 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 a jiva, and the two are not the same. They're similar, but not the same. There is no jiva. They think the jiva is Brahman. That's an illusion. So, it's a problematic. Um, as I say, even if they incorporate bhakti, which some of them do, it's problematic because. The very teaching is such that kind of includes within it offenses to, to the Lord, so they won't get their desired destination. But there are others then who aren't necessarily mayavads, but they're jnanis and they want sayuja mukti. They do some bhakti they can get, and so forth. But my point is here that that uh, that that uh, there are many great devotees hmm, who aren't living a lifestyle of very extreme renunciation, like the Mayavadis, hmm? like the Advaitins, would or should characteristically. You know, you have your Nagababas, the, 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 you know, the, the, the naked sages dressed in ashes, mean-ass people, you know. <laughs> These guys are, you know, which is characteristic of, you know, in one sense, a path of of renunciation, just that's what it's about. Renunciation it can be, it can r- r- cause frustration, hmm? anger. There's the famous incidences of Durvas and uh, hmm, getting angry and, and offending uh, Ambarish and, and, uh, and a number of instances of Shiva dressed in ashes and getting pissed off at Cupid trying to distract him and burning him to, to ashes, which, what, made Cupid, this is the story, invisible, which made him more difficult now to... So it didn't deal with the problem, in other words. It didn't deal with the problem of lust and, and attachment. Um, so unto itself, it doesn't have the Slavific power, the power to, to liberate one. Bhakti is required, is the point. And then if you offend bhakti, then then all is lost. But at any rate, in a concerted effort, they pursue their renunciation. So like fasting, you know, would be a big thing. And, you know, consciously accepting austerities. I've given an example before. Accepting the austerity of bathing in the Ganges at night in the month of Mog, one of the coldest months up to the neck, staying there and saying to yourself, Heat, cold, it makes no difference. Sitting in the sun in June 
Hmm. Hot time in India, 120 degrees, making a fire, hmm. sitting next to it. So these are some of the methods. It's, you know, we say that bhakti is user-friendly. Now maybe you get the idea. <laughs> Those are not very friendly uh, and easy um, um, activities to embrace, but they overtly culture this. They say, I'm not the body, that's the story, that's the truth. Okay, I'm going to prove it. And then they, part of the, 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 the methodology or the path, the anga, anga, the limb of the path of jnana is the overt conscious cultivation of vairagya. Now we have a different method. We cultivate love of Krishna. And in the context of loving Krishna, we know certain things are not favorable for loving Krishna. So we will reject them. Hmm? And we live a relatively, here in the monastery, and even amongst our householders, we would hope, uh, a relatively renounced life. Hmm? We're not um, in the flow of the, of, of the world, constantly caught up with everything that's going on, hopefully. And, uh, and uh, we center our house uh, like an ashram, try to make it conducive for spiritual practice, and so on and so forth. And, and um, we're weird, in other words. We don't quite fit in to the objective world because we're trying to fit into to the subjective world, meditative world, the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, as I said the other night, and I've cited this example a number of times, Pujapad Sridharmarsh compared the, the work of the Goswamis to the work that would be involved in making the garland of gems mm-hmm. Um, that uh, comes first, that being drilling a hole in the gem. So to drill a hole in stone, that's a lot harder than putting a th- string and a thread through it, which is what you do next. And they left, in his words, that part to us. It's very simple. Hmm. It makes some very strong standards about ecodicy, for example, about how to observe it. You have to start the fasting the night before. With no dinner, you have to stay up all night the night before, the whole day. Here, chant, no fasting, fasting from food and water, and the whole night. The next morning after that, it's the fast is complete. And so we see that as the succession of the charges has come down, then these things have been modified and made more easy. But the Goswamis, in their time, here's an example. Here is Sanatana Goswami in Banaris, the center of the of the the the, the Advaitins, hmm? and there's a whole bunch of them there, and they're criticizing Mahaprabhu for singing and dancing and and so forth, and they're very austere and renounced and pronounced. And here comes Sanatana, our leader, and see, he, he takes the new cloth. He takes something he won't take a new cloth. He takes the hand me down. As soon as he gets a dhoti, he tears it in two, makes two out of it, makes a short outer cloth and and an undercloth and. There he is, extremely renounced. Goswami's standard, overtly, externally, renunciation again. I cited Raghunath Das Goswami. It's said in Vrindavan, when he went to Vrindavan after the passing of Mahabhu and Srupadamadar, that he ate like a little bit of buttermilk every other day, something like that. Hmm. So, I mean, whatever the, the truth of the matter is, it's a way of saying that the, the standards of the Goswami's renunciation 
would frighten the Mayavadis hmm? in terms of what renunciation constitutes. And the same holds true with Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu was a sannyasi at 25 years old. Hmm? And the other sannyasis that came to be part of his group, Keshva Bharati was a sannyas guru, Paramananda Puri, um, um, there were, what, nine of them? I forget all their names, but um mentioned some of them. Paramananda Puri, uh, Keshava Bharati, Brahmananda Bharati, who wore the deer skin, hmm? only. Uh, <laughs> These guys were heavy. These guys were heavy renunciates. And uh, certainly many of them, not all of them, were coming from Advaitin lines. I mean, they had Dwaitan names, Puri, Bharati, uh, these are some of the san- ten sannyas names of, that Shankar gave and so forth. But they converted over to Mahaprabhu's religion, conception, and they were frightened by the standard of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's renunciation as a 24, 25-year-old lad when, you know, when you get a little older, it's a little harder to enjoy anyway. <laughs> Uh, whether when you're a young man and a young woman, then the, the, the senses are more strong and fit for enjoying the sense objects and so forth. But his standard of renunciation, many instances in which he exhibited the, the Aishwarya, one of the six uh, opulences that are the Parsharam cited as a standard for definition for God, Sadaishwarya Puna, who has the six opulences wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge and renunciation. Hmm? So, among these, we find in Mahaprabhu, this, all of them, but we also find, in a very overt uh, sense, his opulence of renunciation. He took, he became a sannyasi. And when when Krishna becomes a sannyasi, well, he does it right. So, these other sannyasis were intimidated by him. And similarly, with the Goswami's standard of renunciation. And this is, there's a reason for this. Again, the reason for this is, Mayavadis were thought to be the standard of renunciation and had a monopoly on spiritual life and so forth. And here comes Mahaprabhu's new religion and he has his principal um, leaders, Rupa Sanatana, Jiva Goswami and so forth, as renunciates. And the standard of their renunciation would frighten the Mayavadis. And they weren't overtly cultivating it. It was a byproduct. Sankhya Pubhaka Namagana TV. They, what did they do? They paid obeisances to Vaishnavas. Hmm? They circumambulated Govardhan Hill. They chanted a prescribed number of rounds. They went to Aratis. Hmm? And they, stand, they just preoccupied. And they forgot about eating. They forgot about sleeping. They forgot about fearing, defending themselves. There was no interest in, in mating. This thing came about naturally and is such an extraordinary standard or such, such, such a measure that, again, the mind bodies would be frightened. Hmm? So this is coming out here very subtly in, in, in the narrative with the description. Well, it actually hasn't come out, I shouldn't say that, because he has only in, mentioned the fact that Sanatan heard from Mahaprabhu who came there. The, the details that I gave are part of the story that he tells later on when he reiterates this narrative later in the Madhya, Madhya Leela. But anyway, it's worth making the point. Hmm? Uh, here we're centered to some extent in our extension, our, in our discussion on the nature of sadhu sangha, 
what's the asat sangha, how it may appear, devotees may appear from unexpected quarters and so on and so forth. And and how Mahaprabhu was avoiding the sannyasis, he's living with the householders, and of course we have our renunciates also, as I'm pointing out. And Sanatana Goswami Prabhu is, is, is uh, such, set such a standard that these Mayavadis would be intimidated. They're, they're trying to culture renunciation, and they're criticizing Mahaprabhu for being a sense enjoyer. Hmm? And actually, as we'll see as we go forward, the standard of his realization, from which his renunciation is coming through, they realize that what he is is what we're trying to be, meditate on. He is Brahman. Hmm? So we'll, 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 we'll come to that. Hmm? What's the time? Okay, so we're in for tonight. Any question? Yes. Um, I was just thinking about, it seems like there's a... So we don't fasting, but feasting, right? But then again, we don't we eat as much as we can digest hmm? for Krishna's service. Hmm? But it could be tasteful. Hmm? We can control the tongue because hmm? we have the idea. I'm eating to honor the prasadam and the energy I will derive from, I use for service. So, no question of overeating, no question of not having palatable dishes because this is what should be offered to Krishna at the same time, to some extent. Hmm? I'm sorry. Whenever someone would ask Prabhupada, when they would come and they, I heard these number number of conversations Prabhupada had with people, and they would say, Prabhupada would offer prasad after you, know, you take a little. We are fasting. Prabhupada, why? What purpose are you fasting? Well, I'm doing a cleanse or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah we fast. This is this is the the austerity for Kali Yuga for devotees. Honoring, honoring, honoring the ekadasi, the dhanamastami procedures, a little fasting, making time for more service. So anyway, sorry, go ahead. Your question. Um, I was thinking of the, uh, the example of Shira Maharaj um, being a puff traditional chanting. Uh, I remember Todd asked me um, how Prabhupada said like, um, I don't want you to chant while driving or chant while you're doing anything mundane. It seems like there's quite a difference between like, chanting while eating or eating while chanting. Like you have your prescribed number of rounds that you have to focus on, but um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of how to put it. Like, but as you're saying, like the same thing could be done. I shoot on my hands like eating puff drives while chanting, but in a very mundane way. But in a mundane way? Yeah, like that's your prescribed number of rounds, but you're also... Yeah, we don't do that. You know, we, we, we have sit, we chant our rounds, and try to f- focus, and it's meditation, and so forth. We don't do meditation while you're driving, while you're eating. At the same time, it's said that if you chant while dreaming, sleeping, and even while eating, still there will be benefit. But... Um, but that's not how we, we get our rounds done, you know, while doing something else or something like that. And you're just counting, not, not chanting. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah. That's a question. I just can't think of it. Yeah, yeah. All right. We stop there. Sri Chaitanya Chaitamrita Ki Jai. Sri Chaitanya Chaitamrita Ki Jai. Sri Chaitanya Chaitamrita Ki Jai. Sri Chaitanya